Welcome once again to the Chapter 49 podcast. Today is Tuesday, June 13th, 2023. Glad you've joined us today, and I we were very glad to welcome once again Chapter President Duncan Giles. And if you're watching on video and he looks a little different on the screen, why is that, Duncan? Uh, that's because my wonderful partner, Kim, finally figured out how to... Uh change my screen around so I can do it lengthwise instead of up and down. So okay. you're right. getting to see probably a little bit more of me, which is probably not a good thing. Well, at least a different format. That's always good. Well, we're glad <laughs> Kim got you straightened out on that. We're glad to have you back. The first thing I would like to say in this podcast is the last time we had a podcast, our guest was Kata Saibenga, and Kata was very kind at a very busy time in her schedule to give us a little of her time and, and talk about the avoidance of that debt ceiling crisis right just a few hours after it was enacted by Congress. And on the way to the president's desk at that time, unfortunately, and I'm not going to say who it is, I have an internet service provider in my home that has always been extremely reliable except that day. It just was one of those odd things where I lost my internet connection right in the middle of the discussion. So we, we apologize to Kat. We'd love to have her back because at the end of the podcast, we were planning on talking about more about her operation, what she does and her staff does. So we hope to have her back in a future uh, uh, time and, and, and talk more about that. So to her, we, we are sorry about that, but those things happen and there's really sort of things that are out of our control. I want to start off, Duncan, by talking about what I think would be considered one of the great strengths of any local union, and that's the fact that a local union is, in fact, a democracy. You know, local unions at NTEU, the members vote on who the officers will be, chapter president on down. So there's going to be a national election. You'll be uh, voting in that uh, this coming August. The convention will be in, in Detroit, and we'll have a new national president because Tony Reardon is retiring, our current national president. There'll be other offices also voted upon by the delegates to the convention, and they were all elected by their local chapters. So uh, I want to just talk a little bit about our local election here, Chapter 49. You have, um, If you're a member of NTE, you've, you should have received two mailings, one mailing with the notice of the election, when it will be held, and so forth. And a second mailing correcting the first one. There were some errors. Those things happen. We are all human, after all. So uh, that clarifies uh, the offices that will be up, how you nominate someone for the office, and uh, then, of course, when the election uh, will be held as far as the counting of the ballots and how you submit your ballots and all that. So Christopher Ropa is uh, the uh, the election committee chairman. So if you have any questions on any of that, you may contact him directly. And, uh, Duncan, I don't know about you. I, I still think that through all my time, going all the way back to 1983 when I first joined NTEU, that one of the greatest strengths of a local union is the fact that it is a democracy. Absolutely, Larry. Yeah, and that's one of the things that I'm always in favor of, whether it's you know a union chapter election, a city or a municipal election, state, federal, whatever it is, that people, you know, I always encourage people to vote. You want to get out there, you want to make your voices heard because these are the choices that can impact your day-to-day -day either work life or regular life, depending upon the type of election it is. So I just want, you know, like you said, had to send out a correction notice. 
because we need to make sure that everything's done correctly. And sometimes, you know, democracy can be messy, but that's okay. It's fixable. It's taken care of. And just hope everybody, uh, uh, you know, realizes that. And please do vote. Right. And uh, you'll have your chance to vote here in the near future. It's uh, it's going to be uh, uh, a mail-in election. It, uh, that's the way we do that here in at Chapter 49. We have, I think, ever since we became a local chapter many, many years ago. So um, thanks for that update. And, uh, and again, uh, Christopher Ropa is the chairman of the election uh, nomination election committee. And any questions should be directed to him. Uh, we encourage you to vote. Be a part of the democracy that is NTEU if you are a member of Chapter 49. Let's move on to something because we are recording this on a Tuesday, which is, is June 13th. And coming up uh, next week from a recording date will be Juneteenth. June 19th is, is the uh, – it just so happens it all comes – that's a Monday holiday now, I think, but it comes – and the exact date of June 19th. And Juneteenth has a very special historical meaning, Duncan. So, And it's only been, about, I think this is what, the second or third year this has been a federal holiday. It's been a long time coming. Explain the importance uh, of Juneteenth, if you can. Yeah, it is the third year, because I remember when we had the first year, we're in the middle of negotiations for uh, the national contract that we have now. And I was, as I was in the airport in Washington, D.C., preparing to fly back, they were talking about, okay, now it's passed, uh, but it's not going to take effect until next year. And then by the time I landed, my phone was blowing up because it was taking place that week. Uh, so it was like, oh, what's going on? No, it is, um, you know, it is an extremely important holiday, uh, I feel. And for those of you who don't know the history of Juneteenth, just a quick brief on it is, you know, everybody knows about the Emancipation Proclamation that was done in 1863 by President Lincoln. Well, you know, that only took effect when they had the states that were basically under union control. So while the Civil War was going on, they didn't, you know, those slaves were not impacted by that. And, you know, once the Civil War ended, people were like, okay, well, you know, at that point it was done. Well, no, because Texas was still in there they were still fighting in the West, in the Southwest, and it wasn't until a uh, a general arrived in Galveston, Texas, with about 2,000 Union troops uh, to enforce what was called then, uh, they released it on June the 19th, uh, General Order Number 3, which was to enforce the Emancipation Proclamation, and that was the last big bastion of uh, slaveholder, apparently they moved over a hundred thousand African Americans into Texas from the South because these people did not want to give up their rights. So, you know, this is something that's extremely important to you know not only African Americans but anybody like you and like uh, me who has a sense of history and knows how important a date this was. So, I'm very grateful that we are able to have this federal holiday to recognize this and to you know understand the seriousness of what had happened and how far we've now come. Yes, and the end of slavery is something worth celebrating. And uh, I've noticed that local communities uh, are 
all around the country are celebrating it. Where I live in Fishers, Indiana, there's been a, actually a celebration for Juneteenth before it was a federal holiday. There's been some kind of a, a local event, and it's become much bigger. And uh, there will be one at Connor Prairie on the 19th in Fishers, where I live, and that's just one small microcosm of an example of what's happening uh, throughout the country. So it's a recognition uh, by the federal government of just how important the end of slavery is to our history. And uh, Duncan obviously has uh, done his homework on history. He had a very good uh, detailed story to tell on that. So when you celebrate that day off on, on June 19th, Juneteenth this uh, coming Monday from the date that we are recording this, uh, enjoy your holiday, your three-day holiday. Don't You always should do that. But think about, you know, maybe celebrate locally just what the entire uh, – holiday is about. Anything further on that, Duncan? Uh, the only thing I can say is, you know, I've heard a lot of people say, well, why do we need this holiday? You know, it, it's just another extra day or, you know, it's not that big of a deal. It's, it's a huge deal. It truly is a huge deal from a historical perspective. And I think as time goes on, uh, more people will understand that. I want to talk about something related to um, sort of our election, I think, and and because we are our, uh, good, uh, we, uh, Chapter 49, run our local elections through the United States Postal Service in order to get a ballot to you. Uh, NTU Chapter 49 has to have an updated mailing address for you. In order to have an updated mailing address for you, you must have a an address with the National Union because the National Union uh, presents that information to the local chapter so we can send out that mailing to you and you can participate in our election. You get your uh, nomination uh, letter, as I mentioned before. Then, of course, the ballot will come out once the nominations are in and you vote for whomever you wish to vote for in that election. And again, uh, NTU at Chapter 49 has president, vice president, secretary, and treasurer up for election. So in order to vote for that, you have to have, or to even get the nomination letter, you had to have had a current address on file. NTU nationally is 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 working on making sure not only we have, uh, as a union, um, your current mailing address, but your email address as well, so you can get updates from our national union and our, our local union on occasion. So in order to make sure everybody has checked their latest information, NTEU nationally is not only asking people to go in and, number one, check and make sure it's everything's okay. If it is, verify that, confirm it. If it's not, make the current change. And if you go in and do that, you're at least entered in a contest. Tell us about that, Duncan. Yeah. Uh, you know, everybody thinks that, okay, well, I've updated my address with the IRS, so NTU will naturally have it. Oh, no, nay, nay, that would be way too easy and logical. We work for the federal government. We know that doesn't happen too often. What, what needs to be done is whenever you change your address, you need to update it on the NTU website. Very, very easy to do. Uh, the website's very intuitive and can help you out with that. But what the national office does now every year in June is to you know try and encourage people. So if you go in and either update your address or confirm your information is current, so you don't even have to have any changes or anything of that nature, uh, NTU will be giving away three eighty-five-dollar uh, Visa cards at random to people who've gone in and done this. And the reason for the eighty-five-dollar amount 
is this is NTU's 85th year. So they wanted to pick that amount to celebrate it and giving away, you know, these three visa cards to people who go in and make sure their addresses are current. And I can tell you from somebody who has uh, tried to help employees correct their addresses, um, you know, it, it is something that is very helpful. We did the a uh, sweep on this earlier this year. And uh, I think there are still some addresses out there that may be incorrect. So if you've not received a nomination ballot or something like that, please contact Chris Ropa um, and he will make sure that you get the information that you need to be able to participate. And please also update it on NTU's website so they have the accurate information as well. We have mentioned before that uh, it's very easy to check your information on the NTU.org website, nteu.org. You go in, and if you're not already signed up, you can sign up and put your information in there. And if you have your password, you go in, and if you've forgotten it, they give you a way of, of, of retrieving it or making a new one. You go in there and uh, make sure everything is okay. And if it is, you'll get – if your address, your mailing address is correct, and you want to check your email address, get updates from our national union as well. But when you go in and do that, then you know you'll get a ballot – and you can vote in the local election. So not only that, but you're entered in a contest, a little let extra added incentive, if you will. So good reasons for you to do that. And if you're just not an Internet person at home, uh, check with Duncan, any officer of NTEU, or Christopher Ropa, or anybody on the nomination election committee, and, and they will take care of that for you. So you'll make sure you've got a current address uh, for the election coming up. Well, Duncan, one thing that's happened recently is that there was a big confab in Kansas City, Missouri, and that was uh, held at the uh, campus there in Kansas City. And in that meeting, the Commissioner of Internal Revenue Service met with a number of chapter presidents. I know you were unable to attend for a variety of reasons. But I would like to, to just ask you to go over some things. There were four areas where uh, there was major discussion amongst uh, the commissioner and those chapter presidents. And uh, the first one caught my eye for sure as somebody who's been a, not only a union official, but also a, a group manager as well in my IRS career. And the first thing that came up was manager training. Why do you think that was the case? Yeah, this is one of those things, Larry, that um, you know, has been a issue for chapter presidents for many years, depending upon the area that they're in. Um, a lot of managers, either temporary acting managers or permanent managers, just don't seem to get proper training on the contract. And that's something that we think is very important uh, for them, you know, because we are constantly talking to managers and I get managers quizzing me all the time because, you know, sometimes they can't get the answers they need from labor relations and they want to know specific things that are in the contract or in statute, things of that nature. So it's very important for them to be able to do that, to be able to manage, you know, managing is not easy. And if you don't have all the facts on how you're supposed to do things, that makes it even more difficult. And so we want to make sure, among other things, that managers are trained on the contract you know, that there's some manager accountability, um, that there's stability in management, things of that nature that makes it easier for employees. And these are things that 
um, you know, there was a pre-meeting that I was on with the commissioner, and, you know, those are some of the issues that were discussed as well. And this is very, very important to all the chapters out there that we have people that understand the contract when they're dealing with employees. One thing that I found very interesting uh, in that listing of, of issues was the fact that the, I think the NTEU would like to have people who are nominated or named to be acting managers have a little more training or background. I, I know that when I was a manager, I had to be away. I, in fact, I was uh, uh, managing taxpayer assistance centers. I had to be on the road. I had like, uh, not only at the beginning, I had the large office in Indianapolis. I had three smaller offices. I had to travel each month to well, for a, a while to uh, make sure I visit each of them. And I was on a national team and I, I had other things that I had to do. And, uh, I needed somebody to be acting for me. And, and I think there's a feeling that where there's so much time spent with acting managers that uh, when NTEU is trying to solve a problem, maybe that acting manager just really doesn't know what to do. Yeah. I mean, and it's not their fault a lot of times. They're just thrown into it unprepared um, because it's not the manager's job to give the acting manager training. It's something that should be basically – already planned out if we have people in the flirt program for future leaders or you know basically if they're in a cadre to be a manager there should be some issues that they're trained on and the contract is definitely one of them so the more training that we feel that we can get for managers be it acting or permanent i think the better it'll be for employees and that's what it all boils down to for us how do we make it better for the employees and and another issue that came under that that caught my attention uh, had to do with uh, trying to resolve disputes at the lowest level possible. And I know when I was a manager, I worked very hard to do that. So it never had to leave the group. We got everything settled internally. Uh, Not every group does that. And uh, some managers uh, make that more of a, um, how should I put it, more, more, more emphasis on that than others. Uh, I always tried to do that, and I think there are a lot of managers who do that as well. Some do that better than others. And, and you've been involved in a number of disputes, and have you ever thought to yourself, boy, if, the, if that manager just could have somehow worked this dispute out internally, I'd never have to be involved in this? Yeah, it's one of those things where you always want to do it at the lowest level possible to work an issue through, uh, be it formally or informally. You know, In Chapter 49, if we can, we try to do it informally first because it usually works out faster and um, is a great, as long as it benefits the employee and gives uh, management as the IRS what they need, that works out uh, a little bit better, we believe. But, you know, no matter whether you go formally or informally, the lower level you can do it, the faster you can do it, the better. I still remember when we were standing up uh, in the, you know, after our reorganization and, you know, there, when there was no, before there was a WNI and before there was an SBSE and things of that nature, uh, you know, there was somebody that was central to answer to, and it could be answered lower level. I had an issue in a post of duty, uh, where attack was in that had a rope separating the area between the, uh, the attack and the rest of the office. And there would be people coming back and forth and it got to be in a big to do. I literally had to contact 
the commissioner of WNI and the commissioner of SBSC and say, yes, this is silly. This is absolutely nuts. But you two are the lowest level where this issue will meet. Oh, my God. And it, yeah. And they were both like, this is this is nuts. And it's exactly this is the way the situation is set up. But that's that's why I'm always, you know, I, I always ask for uh, higher level managers and executives to make sure that they empower their managers to solve these types of issues at the lowest possible level. Let's have a discussion. Let's have a let's have a talk. If there's a grievance, can it be solved at the lowest level? Does it have to keep going up? Can we get this thing resolved? Um, and and so that's that's one of the things that we've talked to the commissioner about, and I think he was very receptive to that idea. Well, that's my next question. He seemed receptive to do something. I do remember when I was a new manager, there were two different uh, phases of the training. I took my first phase relatively early, but it took a very long time for that <clears throat> second half or part of my training to come up. And I do remember us meeting, I think we were at the Memphis campus, and there are several executives who were housed there. And we met with them, and they were asking each of us how long it had been, we how long we'd been managers, and they were shocked. <laughs> that we had spent that much time in management and had not received this part of the training yet. And I think that why that opened their eyes that, okay, we need to do something here. Of course, their budgets were tight and we had to travel and all that kind of thing. I think that was part of that. But uh, let's move on to employee training because looking at that, Duncan, that relates to something you and I talked about just recently. And that's the fact that the service is having trouble incentivizing people to become OJIs, on-the-job instructors. And once you go to your formal training class, you get on the job, that OJI is a very big bridge between the classroom training class, virtual or otherwise, and then into your actual job, the work you do on the job. That OJI is a very critical bridge to that. And uh, you were mentioning that you know people were busy and had their own cases to work and didn't get relief from their casework. Therefore, they were really not incentivized to be an OJI. Any indication the commissioner was listening on this issue? I think he absolutely was. We had brought this up in the smaller work groups and then apparently in the larger session, that's what he, he understood us loud and clear to say, you know, if you want people to do this extra work, this collateral duty of, uh, you know, being an OJI or something of that nature, then you're going to need to have to, uh, you know, reduce their inventory or, you know, not make them take as many calls or whatever the particular division is and the type of work that they do. Because otherwise, why would you want to do that? I, okay, you want to be an OJI? Great. Well, we're not going to do anything for you. You're still going to have to do all your regular casework. Why, why would anybody want to put themselves through that? So we want to make sure that you know, the people are incentivized, as you said, to be uh, OJIs, so there can be the more experienced people helping them. And we also want to make sure that we get more in-person training because, you know, virtual training is fine for a lot of things, but we all know that in-person training is going to be more valuable. It's much more expensive. That's absolutely true, but it is going to be more effective just because of the discussions that come up. And I think the commissioner realized that there needs to be a balance there of the two. Yeah, I think that the many studies have shown that in-person training is much more effective as far as training people and, and getting it to sink in than virtual. Not that virtual can't be used in some cases, but if that's all you do or it's mostly what you do, that you pay a price for that, I think. And that's uh, 
that's, I think, the message. I want to move on to a part of the discussion that was described as culture, the culture of the service. Uh, what was the what were the basic issues under that umbrella? Yeah, it's it's we need to be more cohesive. There needs to be a less of it. There's a, a prevalent attitude in a lot of places that it's us against them. It's employees against management. Um, and when you get to that type of thing, it's tough. It's very, very tough. So you want to make sure that we're all trying to be one IRS. We're all pulling to do the best we can for the taxpayers. And we want to make sure that we're all pulling in the same direction. We're all doing the same things. Um, we're all making sure that, you know, that there is work-life balance, things of that nature. So we want to make sure that that we're changing this culture that, you know, and the culture, I'll tell you, from the time that um, that you, when you were around and when I was, uh, you know, 10 years ago or so, 10, 15 years ago, the culture has changed. It, it has it hasn't changed enough, but it has changed a lot. And that's that's a good sign, but it still has a long way to go. And we wanted to make sure that the commissioner understood that because. At the end of the day, you know, we want to make sure that employees are put in the best spot possible to do their jobs the easiest way they can. And, you know, until you've got a culture where everybody's pulling together and pulling towards one goal and not um, an adversarial type situation, uh, per se, for a lot of it, then you're, you know, once you get to there, you're going to be in good shape. But until you get that, and there's you know, a manager is going to be managing. And so there's always going to be differences. That's that's understood that it's expected. But how someone manages, you know, do they do constructive criticism in private and public praise? You know, or are they out there shouting at somebody in the on the work floor? You know, those or, you know, singling somebody out in a meeting uh, in a very negative way. You know, we're trying to make sure that it's more of the former than the latter. I know, Duncan, that's important, but I, I want to ask one question. Best based on what you heard about the discussion in Kansas City, I mean, Commissioner Werfel had been with IRS before. It's not like the, you know, most commissioners come in and it's a, a brand new culture for them. You know, Commissioner Werfel had a taste of culture before he got here. Do you think he understands this issue? That's a great question, and I truly believe he does. When, when he was you know, when he was confirmed, his first phone call was to Tony Reardon, our national NTU president. And, you know, he and Tony and Doreen Greenwald, our vice national vice president, talk quite often uh, because he understands that he needs to have a big consideration of the employees in the organization or else it's not going to work. And so, you know, as, as Tony has said, you know, we want, you know, we've seen the We've seen what he's had to say. It sounds positive. It sounds great. But we need to see what kind of actions are going to be. We need to know that he's going to be following through on a lot of these because there are an awful lot of folks at a high level um, in the IRS that still do not buy into this, that still are very much one who, well, you know, I want the employees in here every day. I want, you know, they're going to do what we need to have done regardless of their feelings, things of that nature. And that can't happen that way. This is not, you know, this is not the way the world works anymore. You have to be considerate of the employee's needs, 
what they have to have, things of that nature. So if you're not, it's not going to work. I know he's he gets that. Whether those below him who will be ultimately charged with implementing this uh, uniformly get it or not is going to be probably the bigger issue. Yeah, I think uh, and this kind of dovetails us and bridges us into the next issue that was discussed or this general area of employee safety, you know, coming and wellness as well, you know, coming out of the COVID era where we all had to worry about our wellness and safety. We still do. It's just a little different uh, atmosphere to do so. And one thing that really struck me is that, you know, the employee assistance program, you and I have talked about this many times, implemented after I had already started with the service. And, uh, I think there was a discussion of EAP is great, but we as an organization need to move on and do way more than what the EAP gives us. So what do you think the upshot is in this whole issue of wellness and, and just employee safety, security, and all those things? Yeah, I think he understands that there's an issue there as well, um, You know, because nobody is more of a mental health advocate than I am because you need to have a place to go to release because the jobs are stressful. Helping taxpayers is an awesome, awesome job, but you get a lot of stress from doing that most times. You know, my daughter is a mental health professional. She's, you know, and I am so proud of the way she's able to help people. That's what they're for, to help people, to relieve some of that stress, to make them be able to get through the day better. And so we need to figure out how to do that um, better than even EAP has. When you come to employee safety, you know, we've got an awful lot of people in the uh, revenue agent and especially revenue officer position who've come on in the last couple of years. They've come on during COVID. You know, when they came in and up to this point, it's been strictly phone calls and letters. They haven't had to go out on site visits. They haven't had to knock on doors. And in this era anymore, when somebody knocks on your door, is it going to be answered uh, friendly or is it going to be answered by somebody with a gun saying, what do you want? What are you doing on my property? Get off my property. So we want to make sure that every step is taken to make sure that um, the employees who are going out into the field are taken care of and are as safe as possible because we don't want anything to happen to anyone. And the last thing that uh, was the area that was discussed with the commissioner at this Kansas City meeting had to do with employee retention, something you and I have talked about numerous times on this podcast. Do you think any progress was made as as far as what the chapter president is trying to, to press the commissioner on in terms of just how difficult employee retention has been? And I'm sure the commissioner has seen the numbers. They're not encouraging as far as retention is concerned. That's it exactly. I think he had a pretty good idea before the meeting because those numbers are just um, very, very stark. When you're seeing a quarter of our uh, revenue officers and revenue agents are leaving in the first couple of years, the turnover we've had in service centers and in phone uh, sites, uh, it's just tremendous. And that's just money walking out the door. So he realizes that things have to change. If we don't change the way we're doing things, we're going to continue to have that low retention. So there needs to be attitudes changed. We need to do work differently. And that's part of, you know, the new, uh, the what they're trying to do in shifting the focus of how the IRS is going to be with the money from the, uh, that we had, even though some of it was clawed back, uh, improving our technology, improving the way that we deal with each other and with taxpayers, 
and to help employees so they'll stay longer, they'll have more of a reason to want to be here, and they won't try and you know run for the door the first chance they get. Okay, Duncan, a lot to talk about there. You know, the commissioner is still welcome to come on this podcast and talk about all those issues and others. We've invited him, so he's certainly welcome to come at any time. I assume we still don't have an answer either way on our request, correct? Uh, no, I have not heard a darn thing from uh, his director of uh, communications, surprisingly enough. Oh, but yeah. ab- absolutely, we'd love to have um, the commissioner on the podcast to talk about a lot of these issues. And I would think he would want to do something of that nature just because of the fact that I I think he does have the right things in mind to do. And like you said, it's I think it's very valuable to him to have been here before, to have dealt with some of these issues. So he's not walking in here totally blind. He has an idea of what's going on and now what needs to be fixed and just needs the time to uh, fix it and the ideas. And I'm, I can tell you right now, he's gotten the ideas. So, Okay, Duncan, your final comment for this podcast. Yeah, I just, you know, we're talking about voting. We're talking about Juneteenth, things of that nature. And that's what I think makes... Uh, the United States, such a great democracy that, you know, it can be messy. We can do things the wrong way for many years, but we try and strive to do the right things. And that's what this country to me, uh, be it a chapter, be it a national organization, be it a state, local, federal, whatever it is, to do things the right way for the people. And the more that we can continue doing that, hold people accountable uh, making sure everybody's doing the right thing, I think the the better off that we'll be for it. And mine is very simple. Enjoy your summer. You and I have both uh, had trouble scheduling this podcast because we're busy doing things that people do in the summer, which is get outside, enjoy yourself. By the way, congrats. Your Dodgers won a, a game in Cincinnati. They had a three-game series. That was the only game they won, and you had a chance to go as a Dodger fan. Of course, I'm a Reds fan. We haven't had a lot to crow about in recent years. But uh, you got a chance to get out and enjoy, get outside, and, and have a good time. And, and I've uh, been spending some time uh, with my uh, daughters and their family. So it's 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 been very good uh, the time of year. Just enjoy the time of year. Uh, every summer is made for that. School's out in most places in the country, so it's time when families get together. Thank you, Duncan Giles. We'll be back again We probably in a week or two. We uh, Probably this is a two-week podcast we're doing right now. Hopefully we'll be back next week if all goes well and, and uh, our schedules once again uh, coincide. We have lots of holidays coming up. We have Juneteenth and we have the 4th of July coming up uh, not long after that. So it's, it's good to have these, these summertime long weekends. My name is Larry Lannon. I'm a volunteer with Chapter 49 working in communications and a retiree. We thank you for watching and listening. Please be safe and be kind. <laughs>